Jumping in to quickly say, if you want to check out Coach Life, head over to coachlife.com forward slash functional tennis. It's not officially live yet, but Peter has given us early access to all the content, 300 plus videos, and he'll be adding new content monthly. That's coachlife.com slash functional tennis or check out the link in the show notes. Hi, I'm Mikhail Torpegaard and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to episode 57 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molle, your host. This week, I speak to Mikael Topregard. Mikael is a former number one ranked NCAA singles player. And last year, he had his first full year on the tour with a current ATP ranking of 168 and is the Danish number one. He tells us all about college life, playing Rafa as a college kid, his first year on the tour and a lot more. Before we get started, a shout out to our podcast sponsors, Head, who have just released an update to their Head Extreme lineup. And if you haven't seen them yet, head over to functionaltennis.com to check out our new on-court and off-court hats. Initial feedback has been amazing and it's a great way to support functional tennis and this show. Okay, let's get started. Hi, Mikael. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, great to have you on board. Where are you right now? I am in Columbus, Ohio. I am basing out of here, basically travel, uh, travel in between traveling. I, I base out of here. I, I train here. Got a little setup with all the coaches, mental coach, uh, uh, strength and conditioning, and of course, tennis coach. So I've been spending my majority of my Corona time training. Great. So let's say before Corona, when you finished university, have you been in Columbus, Ohio? Has that been your base all along or do you base yourself back in Denmark? No, I, I've been basing out of Columbus uh, ever since I graduated Ohio State. It's been perfect. I, I got really fortunate to meet some great people who were connected to Ohio State who really uh, took me under their wing and uh, and helped me out through this transition to the pros from college. So yeah, very fortunate to be in this situation and be able to get the visa to stay in the States and uh, been been playing here ever since. And are you based in the university there? Uh, no, we are actually having our own little setup uh, about 20 or so minutes outside of the, the campus. Still in Columbus, but not connected specifically to the to the Ohio State, uh, though we sometimes practice with them a little bit here and there. But we have our own little setup outside. Oh, nice. And is there any other pro players training with you that we may know? Yeah, I have been training with JJ Wolf ever since. We're the only two really that lives here in base out of here. But uh, every now and then we have uh, other pro players, you know, uh, come down and hit with us. Uh, last month, uh, for a month, Tennis Sangren was down here. Right now, we got a couple uh, Illinois guys uh, that are that are some of our friends, just to mix up the practice. But but uh, me and JJ are are uh, basically the only two that really, I guess, base us out of here. Great. That's Thai man, JJ, the guy with the big ties. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but here we go. So you had a successful college career, which we're going to touch on soon. But before you went to college, how were you as an ITF junior player? I played a lot of junior tennis. Uh, I played all the slams. I believe my career high was 25 or so, 24, something along those lines. So I was a good junior. My game was a little bit different back then. I, I used to just run around and hit all the balls back. I wasn't very big. And, and now I, I make a lot of points off my serve and, and, and that kind of stuff. But before uh, I really hit college and I developed more physically and 
And as a player, I uh, in juniors, it was a, a lot of pushing, a lot of just grinding, you know. So, but I was I was decent. I, I played all the slams, uh, traveled a lot in junior, and that kind of brought me into into contact with with the college coaches. I had a coach and and so on. But I'm sure we're gonna touch on that too. And was there ever a decision to go pro rather than college? Was that decision you made, or did you have good advisors along the way? No, definitely. It was, uh, there was two decisions that I could have made. Uh, one being going pro right away and the other one being going to college. And the first, uh, I think, uh, you know, when, when the college coaches are allowed to recruit you, I got a bunch of inqu- inquiries and stuff from, from the coaches who wanted me to go to their colleges and that kind of stuff. And the first thing I said, I remember is no way, like I'm going <laughs> pro, but. But as I uh, as I pretty quickly realized after Denmark is a very small country, we don't have like a national center, we don't have any support from the federation, uh, so it would have been next to impossible for me to because it's it's a big financial decision for a 17, 18 year old to not have any support and then and then uh, go out of pocket for the first year you're playing pro. So with that in mind, I had a uh, a Swedish coach at the time who used to play professionally at the same time as Ty Tucker from Ohio State. And they got in contact and, uh, you know, in the back of my mind, uh, the decision started to change. I became more and more interested in, in going to college and uh, it kind of worked itself out that way because when I made the decision to go to college, I still wanted it to to use it as kind of like a stepping stone for going pro. And that was that was uh, the main thing. And uh, Ohio State, I saw their history, uh, you know, Blas Rola, Chase Buchanan, Peter Smith, Connor Smith, uh, Peter Cobalt, Connor Smith, uh, all those guys had, had come from Ohio State. And, and uh, that's honestly what changed my, my final decision of coming here and seeing that it is possible to go to college and then go pro. Because to be honest with you, I had no idea what college even was before I got here. Okay, that's that's interesting. But at least I think I think it's a great decision that you made. Absolutely. I, I I've known Peter. I think at dinner with Peter Cobelt one time. He played the Irish Open. Oh yeah. And yeah, I have I haven't seen much. Obviously, we haven't seen much of tennis lately. But he obviously had his injury struggles. But uh, he's a really good player, and obviously Ohio are such a well-known university. But taking it back, how would you compare? yourself as a junior back then so just before you went to college so your last month playing juniors against obviously a guy who we at Functional Tennis talk a lot about is your compatriot from Denmark Holger Ruhn. I think going back at it it was the right decision to go to college because 18 year old me was extremely immature on the court. I play a lot different right now. I had no weapons back then. I mean, I had a little bit of a surf coming, but besides a backhand, I mean, my game was completely turned around when I when I went to college. I changed my forehand grip the first year of college. Uh, I basically survived juniors on a forehand hack slice. So <laughs> it was uh, it was definitely good to get my game developed and, and just get a different point of view on it. Because, you know, Denmark is a, is a great country in a lot of aspects, but just not in the tennis way because we don't really have any I mean we have a few coaches that are that have been good like Kenny Carlson and those kind of stuff that Holgar's working with now but just my situation I don't see it going very well me turning pro at, at 18 because my game really 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 took a big jump when I went to college and I don't think I could have been in the situation I am in now without having the development uh, on and off the court that is interesting the whole I'm not the immaturity thing where you knew yourself you if you're going to go pro, you're going to have issues. So obviously that made college a really sensible decision. Right. So yeah, that's really good. And it must be such a tough decision when you are a top junior to 
it looks so easy. Oh, no, I'm good enough to go pro. I'm good <laughs> enough to go pro, but you know, and it, it's hard to convince. Maybe it's harder to convince the juniors that aren't even that good because a lot of them just want to go pro and, and it's it's so difficult. And then I think if from what I've gathered from the good juniors get such great opportunities to go to great universities. And what what did you major in? Uh, I majored in strategic communications. You know, I, I was in business for about two weeks before I figured out that wasn't gonna gonna happen. I kind of kind of wanted a, a life outside of uh, tennis and school, so I kind of made went with the uh, with the communications degree. <laughs> Bit easier, was it? Yeah, it definitely was. But it's a pretty broad major. Honestly, uh, pretty satisfied with that choice. But no, it's uh, it's definitely uh, to touch what you just said about the transition. I mean, I believe honestly in tennis that that the transition from junior to pro is one of the hardest things like in in any sport you can do, like in the tennis world. Uh, and and I had no idea about that when I went to, uh, when I made the decision. So I mean, I guess it was a little bit lucky that I kind of kind of chose to go go the college yeah. way, but. But uh, definitely, uh, just just coming over here, getting the facilities. That's another thing about Denmark. That just Denmark is has no facilities whatsoever. And you come over here to a you know a, a college like Ohio State that has a hundreds of millions of dollars posted into their facilities and strength and coaching and whatnot. So so it's just a different like it's it's you know we're playing chess over here while while I was sitting back playing checkers back home. Yeah, no, I, I can relate to that. I think the Irish setup here is, would be quite like the Danish setup. And the, the guys who go to the States obviously get what you get as well. They get all this brilliant setup. And right. you just don't have that here. Cold weather training, not many indoor centers and a lot of other things. So, yeah. So tell me, what college tennis, how did it change your game? What was the training like? Well, first off, it was the discipline. Uh, the practice hours and kind of the grind of it all. I mean, coach who's got 12 kids who are all trying to make the team, it's extremely competitive. So you're always fighting for a spot. I know I came in and played one right away, but still though, you still have it in the back of your head that you're competing not only against your opponents every week, but you're you're against your own teammates for the spot. And I feel like that competitive mindset uh, combined with the massive amount of hours, like at Ohio State, you basically practice four hours a day, plus uh, the time you put in in your gym and extras and whatever. So just the repetitions that I hadn't gotten uh, before I went to college just made a big difference physically and mentally because I went from not having any weapons to finally being like confident and actually hitting the baseline game. And just with that in the back of the head and during a college season, like people don't think about it, but like the top 10 in college every year could possibly play a top five, four, even 300 uh, ATP level tennis. And if you're playing one for a college, all the other ones from different colleges are going to be really good. And you get like two or three matches a week that are against other top 500, 400, 300 players. And you just can't afford to take any days off. So it gives you a, a sense of consistency that is really, really, really useful uh, when you're starting to play pro because you see it in many college players. They can go week to week to week to week because they're used to it from a long college season and still perform consistently on the challenger level, which is, I mean, you also know that that that's just what you need to do. You need to 
be consistent to make it as a professional tennis player because uh, you see all these guys um, that are doing well one week and less well the other week, you know, and losing a little bit of confidence here and there. If in college, it's just so far in the back of your head that you can't afford not to show up in a challenger because you, you kind of need to be there every time, like mentally, physically, everything. So so that kind of mindset gave me a lot. Uh, and I believe it gives a lot of people that from college uh, that aren't used to, to kind of the grind mentality. That is something we've heard here before a lot is to get out of the challengers you need to be, as you said, very consistent. You need results every week. And that's the only way you get out of there. You can do okay in the challenges, but anybody who's got truth that we've had on the show have said they've had to put in the work and work and work. And once they get that consistent run, eventually then they can break into the top 100, but it just takes time. But tell me, what was the pressure like landing as a freshman in such a prestigious university and playing number one? That must have been pressure straight away. It absolutely was. I had to get used to it. And for a lot of Europeans coming to college, it's a different, you know, experience. So it takes some time to get used to. And it did for me too. I barely broke a year, uh, whereas the last three years of my college career, I was basically number one in the country all through, through the, I mean, majority of the time through those three years. So it took me a good while to get used to. And I didn't do anything really that impressive my freshman year. I mean, I won the regionals when I got here, but that was about it. Uh, so it was definitely a transition as well that uh, that was hard to get used to. And then me changing a bunch of stuff in my game and getting used to the hardcore because, you know, uh, back in Denmark, we play outdoor clay. We don't really have any outdoor hard. So that was also a thing I had to get used to. But once, you know, I kind of settled in and my, I got my second year going, it, it kind of China uh, was a lot easier on me, but um, it definitely the pressure of of playing one my freshman year was was intense because um, I didn't want to let anybody down. I didn't want to let my coaches down and make him feel like they had recruited this guy from from you know Northern Europe who couldn't who couldn't live up to his <laughs> reputation. So it was it was uh, every week was was a was a, a battle against my own mentality on and and the pressure and everything. But I believe that. That uh, is part of what made me successful now. I mean, if you want to call it that, whatever, um, is that the pressure, you know, you're able to handle that pressure and you, you feel that pressure every week in a challenger and so on. So uh, I, I feel like at the end of the day, it's helped me tremendously in, in, uh, in the transition to the pro. Well, I, I, the line just went bad there, but did you say for, I knew you were number one NCAA, but were you number one for three years? Uh, the majority of it, uh, I think... A little bit into my sophomore year, I broke number one and then I was pretty much there the rest of the year. I didn't lose a match at home or away really uh, for my entire junior season. So more the majority of those two and a half, three years, I was number one, yeah. Well, and was there ever like, who was it, Mackenzie McDonald? Did he do a year and he decided to go pro? Were you ever saying, I'm number one here. I'm not too good for this. I'm going pro. Did that ever enter your mind? It did by the end of my junior year, whether I was going to come back to my senior year. Looking back at it, I definitely made the right decision to stay because I got all these contacts and and got the setup going in Columbus that allowed me to be where I am right now. But it definitely crossed my mind. Uh, I mean, my I believe it was was uh, September of my sophomore year when the first Columbus Challenger was there, and I got a wild card and I ended up winning it, beating you know Polanski, Sangren, and and Benjamin Becker in the final there. And I had no ranking, and I just immediately dro- uh, jumped to top three hundred. So. Right Right after that, I definitely thought about going pro. 
but you know a bunch of factors played into me staying and and I definitely think I made the right decision staying and and now you know I'm I'm I was career high before Corona and and uh, uh, had a really good streak at the, the beginning of the year going and uh, and unfortunately had to to pull out of the last tournament that I felt really confident into. Uh, so I think I, I made the right decision. Yeah, no, it definitely looks like you you did. And in the meantime, you're playing college tennis. You get a call up to play some Davis Cup for Denmark, and you play yeah. Rafa Nadal. Tell me, what was it like being a young college kid? having to meet the legendary Nadal? You know, it was a dream come true. Uh, ever since I was uh, very young, uh, you know, I've looked up to the guy. I admire his uh, mindset more than anyone's. It, it, it doesn't matter to him who he's playing or what he's playing or any, like what tournament he's playing or or what the match is. No matter what, the guy is playing the next point like it was his last. And I admire that so much. So going into that match, I was extremely excited. I got to take the time off from college uh, to go back and play both Nadal and Ferrer, David David Ferrer in those two matches. Uh, but it's funny, I remember still um, going back there. And uh, and uh, I, let me just put it this way. I don't think I've ever had so many people tell me congratulations for getting my ass kicked before. Um, you did a good job. But uh, that match was still... That's that still haunts me a little bit because it was four all in the first, and I had, I believe, th- uh, three uh, break points to to be able to serve the first set home. And honestly, that was a huge turning point in my career. Where I, I actually, after the match, I remember, even though the the two last sets weren't really close, I just looked into the mirror and I said, honestly, this is the first time I truly believe I have a chance at making it as a successful tennis player. Like I had never really been given the thought of day that I had already I had always just showed up and played but that was the first time I really really believed that I had a chance to to make it and that was just such a cool experience hearing Rafa say that yeah this guy's gonna be good and and all this stuff after the match and and him just you know figuring out that these guys are human too and and that I can play with them and and all this stuff is just it was a it was a life-changing experience for me. Did you know we have over 170 great episodes with coaches, players, trainers, and experts working at the highest level of the game? Tap the subscribe button on your podcast app so you don't miss out on the latest episodes of the podcast. And to listen to our great back catalog of episodes with the biggest game changers in tennis, go to functionaltennispodcast.com. Where was the match in Denmark or Spain? Yes, it was in uh, in Denmark. Okay, so the crowd would have helped you a little bit there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So f- for all break points, you say you're cool under pressure. How were the nerves? It, it was actually at that point in the match, it was great. I felt really in the zone. In the beginning, like before the match, I wasn't nervous at all the night before or anything because uh, I think I was so starstruck. But... I remember the nerves hitting me at one specific point and it was him uh, serving the first game of the match. And I'm like thinking to myself, oh, wow, like I'm actually about to return and start the match against Nadal. Uh, but besides that, as, a, as, a, as I held the two games kind of easily, I, I believe also I had like 15 or 20 aces in the first set. So that might have helped a little bit, but my serve was on point and, uh, and uh, that kind of helped my nerves. When, I'm, when I feel like I have a good serving day, it's easier for me to, to kind of contain my nerves and, and to, to go for more in his service games and that kind of stuff. So that's what brought me in that situation. And then, you know, I just had to say fair enough because 
all three breakpoints I had, there was nothing I could do. The guy played one, two, ten. It's just hit a really good first serve and then knocked off the second ball. So I, it's not like I, I break the volley or something to a broken him. But, uh, you know, I want to stand in that situation again. I do believe. I mean, I've gotten a lot better as a tennis player. I think uh, mentally, physically, uh, even game-wise, like, I just would love to stand there in the same scenario. And that's why I, I, I put in the work every day uh, to, to be able to do that. From a mental point of view, go back to that match against Rafa and you're playing Rafa at the French this year. First round, you're drawn against Rafa at the French. How has your mentality changed in a situation like that? I think that just the maturity level also, having the experience of one year on the tour, going through the college, just knowing my game better. I think I would be a lot more comfortable. And I mean, at the French, it's a little spicy, you know, because... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, that was I a would, bad I, example. I think I have other surfaces I, I think I'd rather play around. Let's on. say a fast indoor. <laughs> yeah. On carpet. So French, maybe uh, I, would, uh, I would hope that I was serving extremely well that day. But I think just mentally, I have a different point of view on it. I, I play my patterns better. I play my patterns uh, differently from when I, be- when I went back there. I mean, when I played back, back before in juniors, I, I was just hitting balls. Like I had no purpose in, in the ball I was hitting and which I feel like I do now. Uh, so that's the biggest change. I feel like the mental aspect of it or a tactical or whatever you want to call it, like just, just knowing how my game works and what I need to do in order to win points. Uh, I mean, of course, it's very, very arguable if if that would still, you know, work on Rafa and Clay, but I would definitely go into the match with a little bit different mindset. Just going to take us back to college here. When you first landed in Ohio, did you sit down with the coaches and say, look, or they sat down with you or they said, look, in four years, we'd like to see your game evolve like this. And that's what we're going to do for the next four years. Or was it you saying, look, I need a weapon and you worked on it. Did the coaches really help you develop a plan for the four years? Yeah, you know, uh, it it came more naturally. It wasn't the fact that we, I mean, we did have meetings and about the game and what I wanted to do and my goals and stuff, but it was more so that that the the discipline, the amount of hours kind of made me more secure in my game. Because if you hit for four years straight, four hours a day, ball through the middle as hard as you can, I mean, your baseline game is going to take a jump. And that's what Ohio, Ohio State gave me the most. It gave me the belief and the confidence in my baseline game that I have been lacking beforehand. So we had individuals, stuff we needed to work on. We constantly had stuff we needed to work on. Um, and then my approach game and my net game got to the point where, where it got a lot better in the first year. And I believe that it was the part when I got a little bit more aggressive, played a little more grown up tennis, you know, that allowed me to, to dominate college tennis in the way I did and, and kind of take my game to the next level. So you think, so the way I see it is you matured a lot in college and by the end of, by the end of college, you were more mature than all the other players and knew how to play them. And that's why you managed to stay number one. Would that make sense? Exactly, exactly. And then I would like to think I have a, a pretty good level of, of competitiveness, uh, which is why on my bad days in college, I would still find a way to kind of just put the ball in again and, and just kind of go back to basics and win those matches, even though I was playing. You know, it's tough to play well all through a, a long season of college. So so that and mixed with, with what you said, the maturity level of, of uh, rising constantly in, in through the years in college uh, just allowed me to, to make the transition easier to pro tennis also. And tell me, who was your main competitors back in college that we would know now? 
back in my college time, it was for people you would know now. It was Dominic Klepfer. Oh yeah, we've had him on here before. He's a good guy. I love Dominic. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. He was a very good player, and it's obviously the run he made at, at U.S. Open. Uh, Incredible. Uh, yeah. Last year was incredible. And uh, it was Roberto Sid at the time and trying to think who else. In my freshman year, I played I played a lot against uh, Yannick Hampmann. Okay, yeah. And there were a couple other guys, uh, which I forget the names, but uh, obviously Mackenzie McDonald and a couple of the U.S. guys that went pro a little early through their college career. Those guys I played with. Uh, there were a lot of good players, which is why, like I, I, I said earlier, that Honestly, any year of college tennis, anyone in in the the top five maybe can can have a shot at making it in professional tennis. Yeah, no, no, definitely. In a few weeks, we're going to have Connor Nyland. I'm not sure if he was an Irish guy. I remember him, but he got to number two, I think. Yeah. he got number two, and he came out of college. I think he played a year as pro. And then he decided he could still go to Berkeley. The rules were different. Went to Berkeley with Peter Wright. Right. Got to two or three, I can't remember. And sure, he came out straight away like like yourself, no messing around. He was top 300 really quickly. Yeah. Moved into the 200s and just got shy of, he just got unlucky at the end of his career because mm-hmm. he was starting to really pick up and injuries just caught caught up with him right yeah but we're going to have him on in a few weeks for a good story yeah so, so tell me you you finished in college you had your first year on tour how was your year on tour compared to university life and you did you started your college career you didn't have to hit any futures by the looks of it right, so you, yeah. you were out of the dumps pretty quick yeah so that that must have been a big relief because players spend their life down there. It definitely, yeah, definitely. Uh, I did play through my college career. I had one summer. I went to Finland and played three futures and actually went, ended up winning them all. Beating that was back in. Actually, no, I did lose one of the finals to Kathrude. Okay, but we had a we had a battle there. I believe it was like seven six in the third or something. But besides those two, I won the other two, and those were the only futures I really played because. What is really good in college is that it's a spring season and the American Challenger Tour is in the fall. So you can travel a lot. You can play. I played Vegas every year. I played the Columbus. I played Illinois. I played that stretch every year of tournaments, Knoxville, and had a chance to not start from, from scratch when I finally graduated. Just a quick one. Were you in Ohio? Did Sam Barry, did Sam Barry get to the final in Ohio? Yes. Uh, Sam Barry... A friend of mine, he's a friend of the show, right? Yeah, and uh, what was the other doubles guy's name? O'Hare, Dave O'Hare. It was yeah. O'Hare. It was actually hilarious because I mean, him and Salisbury, uh, the first year they played Ohio, uh, the Columbus Challenge, I believe me and Herco Pollen and beat him like one and two in doubles, and then we lost to him the next year. Uh, where they oh, well. really, really took a jump. But uh, yeah, O'Hare is also one of my good friends, uh, on tour there when he played and. And, uh, no, I think Sam Perry, he, uh, yeah, I think he finaled it. He finaled it. Who beat, uh, I can't remember the great semi-final win. I can't remember off the top of my head. There's actually a documentary made on right. it. I thought he, he did, he did a great win. And anyway, so yeah, that's, I remember at Sam Barry and Ohio, he did well there. It was a big tournament for him. Yeah, he's a, yeah, he was a great player. He, yeah, he was just recently retired. And O'Hare as well. He's a good friend of ours here. Right. And I was, sa- I was sad to see him retire because he got unfortunate the way Salisbury moved. You know, they had whatever, they moved on and 
Salisbury's career went crazy. Yeah. And poor Dave got injured. Yeah, and yeah, I I heard, I heard. And then we actually we had him here as well. He's told us a story on here yeah. as well. So for anybody listening, look back. Now I, I believe Salisbury is playing with Freddie Nelson, right? Like or he was he, they semi Wimbledon, I think, last year. Uh, Salisbury was playing with uh, Reggie Ram. Yeah, right. But before, right before, I think he played with the Danish doubles player, uh, Frederick Nielsen. Yeah. At some stage, yeah. Yeah. Frederick Nielsen's actually a really nice guy. He's played the Irish Open loads. Unbelievable. Yeah. He's one of my very good, uh, very good friends. He's the Davis Cup captain now, also. He's a, he's a good friend. So back to business here. Tour life. How was your first year in the tour on the, cha- on the luxurious Challenger tour? <laughs> Well, I was definitely uh, excited that I uh, didn't have to start grinding the futures. So playing the challengers and doing well in the beginning was very crucial for my uh, professional uh, career. I, built, I I won a few in Columbus, uh, won, a, won one in, in Cleveland uh, earlier this year and then uh, finaled it last year. So having those and being inside the top 300 throughout pretty much my entire first year, uh, really took a lot of the pressure off playing the slams, the qualies, and doing winning a few matches here and there. It was just a learning experience, and uh, definitely this year, before this whole strange situation happened, um, I I felt you know that I had been there before, and it took the top off the nerves. So it's also a transition that that requires a little bit of time for a lot of players, and as you say, like a lot of them just don't make it even into the top three hundred, but. Um, it was obviously tough at times, fun at times. You know, it's it's a roller coaster ride. Uh, the professional tennis. Did you have a coach with you traveling for about half of the tournaments? I did. I traveled with this uh, uh, German coach uh, who now bases out of uh, Orlando, Andy Fissel, who's a very very good coach that I still work uh, a little bit with here and there. And uh, so I had him traveling to the slams and some of the bigger tournaments, but. Some of them I did myself, uh, traveled a little. JJ and I shared a coach for some of them. And then, you know, some of them I was by myself. But it, it was a little bit up in the air uh, whether I had one or not. So your ranking, it's currently one, one six eight. Two questions here. Was there any breakthrough result that has got you to your career high? I know you, we talked about consistency, but just before, what was the win you got just before lockdown? Yeah, it was the Cleveland tournament um, that uh, that put me up there again. I had just dropped out of the top 200, but got back in there with the Cleveland win. Uh, had a really solid tournament, beat some very good players and, and kind of felt that that was a mental breakthrough for me again, that, that I really belong up there. And, and you know, right before uh, lockdown, I played the Kazakhstan tournament, which I really felt comfortable in and and uh, really would have loved to to play out because I think I had a, a great shot of, of kind of win, winning that tournament and then having an unbelievable start to the year, you know, going into the first slams. And, and that, I would have loved to see how that would have played out. But honestly, the lockdown hasn't been bad. I had been working a lot of, of consistency in my game. So you just got to look at it like that. So you, you could see you've been working hard. and. At what point, like, is it a ranking or is it doing well in an ATP tour event, getting into one and qualifying? Do you get, do you make commitment to get a full-time coach? Because you need a full-time coach, let's be honest, once. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I do have, I do have uh, more or less three full-time coaches with the setup in Ohio. And 
we also uh, they're gonna travel with us this year. Uh, they have made the commitment uh, to travel with us this year as well. So we get a coach each. So it's funny you mention it because right now is actually the time where I'm, I'm making this commitment to getting a full time coach. Great. Yeah. No, I, I was just curious to ask, like, when you have to make that commitment. It's a bit like I don't know. You're you're going out with a girl for years, and the time's come. You got to put the the ring on the finger like it's a bit, it's one of those moments like I have to yeah. do this I have to invest in my career to take me to the next step because absolutely absolutely I agree I mean it's so tough you need a fresh uh, pair of eyes that sees things differently at the tournaments you're at so definitely it's a it's a huge commitment and and it needs to be made for any player I I, I think that I, I don't think anybody can really make it on their own out there yeah no I, I completely agree with you and I'm excited for tennis to kick back off and you showing the world what you can do and moving closer into the up to 100 ranking and into the top 100 but I'm going to end this Mikael one question we ask everybody if you're if you're back if a junior comes up to you which I'm sure they do all the time a 14 15 year old and they want advice they want to be pro what's the first thing you say to them the first thing I say to them and the thing that I really wish I could have told my own 14 year old self is honestly that stop worrying so much about the results in juniors. They do not matter. I think the best thing you can do as a junior is just think about the process or, I mean, just trust the process, trust the people around you, surround you with yourself with people who knows who's been through it, whatever, who's, who's got a, a good idea of what's going on and just trust the process. You don't need to be good right now. I mean, you, there's a reason the the average age in, in the top 100 in men's are, are like 28 years old or something like that. It's it's a process and physically and everything. Just tr- trust it. Do the right thing that's going to win you a lot of matches later on rather than do the wrong thing that is going to win you a match tomorrow. That's the biggest advice I think I can get, give any any junior. That, that's great. But on your advice there and on, on your own junior career, you got to, let's say, 22, 20, top 20 junior. Yeah, and that yeah. gave you the ability to get recruited by a top, one of the best universities in the country, if the best, actually. So I see a bit of differences there where sometimes because you hack your way there, get, and then you can work on that stuff later. Because maybe had you have believed in the process and you would have been ranked 500, you wouldn't have got those opportunities. And you, you, you could be in a better position now, but I don't think you would. No, absolutely. I agree with that. So it's a fine image of, of uh, you doing what you can to, to get up there. Um, but at, at some degree, it's also, I think, that maybe just skipping the junior step would have been better for a lot of people. Like if they can, get, if they can be sure to have a setup later on that's going to work for them. Because obviously it's easier to say if you're American and you have a lot of money in your federation and a lot of people around you and stuff like that rather than coming from a small country like Denmark. Because if I had done poorly in juniors, I wouldn't have even had a shot of going to college or anything. But, you know, it's, 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 it's you know, I don't have the answer. No. But I definitely see it's such a good point you're bringing up that you you got to scrap some of it and then you got to you gotta just trust the process for the rest. So it's just, you know, it's so individually whether it works for for someone and it doesn't work for others, you know. 
and it's always easier looking back. Definitely, definitely. No, that, that's that's great, Mikhail. Uh, thank you very much for the chat. Great having you on. And as I said, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see what you can bring on the rest of the year, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Mikhail. He's definitely going the right direction and I look forward to following his career. I'll be back next week with Ireland's Conan Ireland with some Grand Slam stories. Until then, goodbye.